Well, we are going to start a new series of Bible studies this morning. We're beginning a series of Bible studies on the Psalms today. Now, we're not going to look at all 150 Psalms in this series. We're only going to look at a selection of them. So, we might call this series a study of some Psalms. Given all the stuff, though, that has marked this year, 2020, as one of the strangest and challenging in recent history, I thought Psalms would be a good place for us to spend some time, since so many of the Psalms speak to our hearts in the midst of life's challenges. Well, let's begin by talking a little bit about what are Psalms. They're primarily poems, many of which were intended to be sung. You know, virtually all song lyrics are poems which are put to music. The Psalms are similar in the sense that they can function as poems to be read and meditated upon and as song lyrics to be sung. In the Psalms, we find a full range of human emotions and experiences expressed in poetic form. They are expressions from the hearts of people that are in relationship with their God. They are cries of anger and joy, confusion and certainty, fear and confidence, discouragement and hope, defeat and victory. It's all there. They are the reachings of people into the spiritual realm, praying, worshiping, giving words uh, to, to emotions that are not easily expressed. Through the Psalms, we learn who God is, who we are, and they help us to express our own hearts to Him. The book of Psalms is the largest book in the Bible. It sits right in the middle. So when you're trying to find the Psalms, you just basically cut your Bible in half, assuming it's not one with a whole bunch of study notes that fills up the last third of it or so. But you cut your Bible in half, and you'll usually land right in the Psalms. It's also the largest collection of ancient lyrical poetry in existence. There are a total of 150 Psalms in the book of Psalms. David is credited with writing 73 of them. So he is credited with writing almost half of the Psalms. The rest of them were written by a number of other authors, including Moses, the sons of Korah, Asaph, Heman, the Ezraite, Ethan, the Ezraite, and Solomon, and a sprinkling of others. The book of Psalms is broken into five divisions or books, but there's really little apparent reason for the order of most of the Psalms in relationship to the other Psalms. In general, each Psalm stands alone. It doesn't rely on the other Psalms that are sitting next to it, either in front of it or behind it, in order to be understood. So in other words, the Psalms are not like chapters in a book which are connected and interrelated and interdependent with one another. This means that it is perfectly acceptable to skip around in the book of Psalms, reading them out of sequential order. That would obviously be a bad practice to do with most other books, but it's okay to do with the Psalms. So you could read Psalm 8 and then Psalm 138 if you wanted to. That's okay. 
Hebrew, Hebrew poetry, which the Psalms are an example of, doesn't have the rhyme and the meter of a lot of poetry that we may be familiar with. Instead, a distinctive feature often found in the Psalms is what's called parallelism. Poetic lines are composed of two or more balanced segments. The second segment echoes or contrasts or completes the first segment. So here's an example is Psalm 1, verse 6, says, For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So the first segment is, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. The second segment, which contrasts with the first segment, is, but the way of the wicked will perish. We'll see a lot of parallelism in the psalm we'll be looking at today. In fact, we're beginning our study of some psalms with the first psalm in the book, Psalm 1. So if you have your Bible, flip over to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. That's where we'll be at this morning in our study. Let's begin by reading this psalm. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This psalm presents two ways for us to follow. The way of life or the way of death. The way of the godly or the way of the ungodly. The way of the righteous or the way of the wicked. The way of the wise or the way of the foolish. This same contrast is found throughout the book of Proverbs, and that's why this psalm is categorized as what they call a wisdom psalm. Jesus, he presented these two ways or paths in his teachings too. And one of the most memorable passages in which he does that is Matthew 7, 13. Jesus said, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. You might be familiar with Robert Frost's poem, The Road Not Taken, especially the last lines of it, which have become a popular topic for memes in social media. Those last lines say this, Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Although it was probably not the intended meaning by Robert Frost, I'd like to suggest that the roads not, that this road less traveled by is the narrow way that Jesus was talking about in the passage that we just read from Matthew. And it's the way that leads to life that Psalm 1 
is talking about taking this road less traveled by will make all the difference in our life. When we encounter a fork in the road of life, it's not always easy to know which path to take. Sometimes the two paths can look very similar. It's hard to know which path will lead to where we want to go. Conversely, sometimes the way that leads to life can look really hard and full of trouble. How do we know which path to take? Well, this psalm helps us answer that question. So if we go back up to verse 1 of the psalm, it says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in steps with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. Blessed means supremely happy and fulfilled. Supremely happy and fulfilled is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. The blessed person is the happy recipient of the goodness of God. The blessed person is the one who is embracing and partaking in the goodness that God intends for them. The blessed person is the one whose life is permeated with joy. The kind of person who is blessed, according to Psalm 1, stated from a negative frame of reference, is given first. It is the person who, it says, does not walk in step with the wicked. Now, the NIV translation of this phrase is unfortunately and oddly confusing in comparison to the other English translations, all of which capture the meaning of the original Hebrew much more consistently and easy for us to get a hold of and what the meaning was here. For example, the ESV translates it, one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. The New American Standard says, does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. New Living Translation does not follow the advice of the wicked. And the New King James says, walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. The, the realm being talked about here is the realm of thinking. We are not to follow the advice of the wicked. We are not to adopt the way of thinking of the wicked. We are not to solve our life problems the way that the wicked solve their problems. We are not to use the same frame of reference for figuring stuff out in our life that the wicked use. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are to think like Jesus. Follow His counsel. Follow His advice. Approach our life and our problems the way that Jesus would approach them. Romans 12, 12, Paul, or Romans 12, verse 2 Paul wrote this, he said, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. That word conform, it means to take the shape of something, or to be shaped or molded by a thing. In this case, the pattern of this world is what Paul is talking about. That word transformed, it means to be changed into something fundamentally different. The Greek word is metamorpho, which we get our English word metamorphosis from. That word renew means to cause something to become new and different. Your mind is talking about our thinking, our reasoning, our problem solving, our understanding of reality. So if we put all of this together... He's saying, rather than being molded and shaped by the culture around us, we are to be changed into something fundamentally 
different, becoming new and different in our understanding and way of thinking. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. This transforming and renewing is being done by the Holy Spirit in our life. We participate in His good work in us by setting our mind, our thoughts, our thinking on the things of the Spirit rather than the things of the flesh, or by following the way laid out for us here in Psalm 1. Psalm 1, 1, it says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step of the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take. To stand in the way that sinners take, it means to follow their path. This addresses the realm of behaving. We are not to participate in the way of this sinner. We are not to follow their course in life. Instead, Jesus is the path that we take. That word sinner here, it's not being used in this general sense that we are all sinners. It refers to those who are living their lives in rebellion to God, refusing to follow His ways. They are living by their own rules and according to their own terms rather than according to the Word of God. The third piece that we're given here, or stand in the way the sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. This addresses the realm of belonging. We are not to have the same attitude as mockers. We are not to be associated or aligned with mockers. What is a mocker or a scoffer that the Bible talks about here? The mocker treats the things that God considers important as unimportant and foolish. A mocker is the polar opposite of the wise person, the godly person, the person seeking after the Lord's righteousness. The mocker has no respect for the things of the Lord, has no fear of the Lord, has no appreciation for the things of the Lord. The word translated sit here, when it says they do not sit in the company of mockers, it means to stay or to dwell in a particular place. We are not to live, dwell, inhabit, be in the same place as mockers figuratively speaking. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. We naturally take on the characteristics and the attributes and behaviors of those that we spend time with. Have you ever noticed how people who spend a lot of time with each other, they begin to take on common behaviors and characteristics. They begin to act in similar ways, to use similar forms of expression. They begin to share the same attitudes and opinions about things. And so, Paul warns us, bad company corrupts good character. Do not sit in the company of mockers. Well, collecting all of this together, verse 1 of Psalm 1 is telling us that it matters how we think, it matters how we behave, and it matters who we spend time with. Our blessedness is affected by how we think, how we behave, and who we hang out with. Notice the progression among these three things and where it starts. It begins with our thinking. Our thoughts 
determine our behavior and our actions. You might remember the old saying that goes, sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. We're told in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, to take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. Well, verse 2 says this. It says, but those but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. This verse is that second piece of parallelism that we've been talking about. Do you remember I said that Hebrew poetry has a lot of parallelism in it, and this verse is that parallel segment that contrasts with verse 1. If you've been paying attention here closely, you may have actually noticed that we have already had parallelism just inside of verse 1, because there are three segments there that are parallel with each other. When it says, blessed is one who does not walk in the step of the wicked, and then there's the parallelism that comes with it, or stand in the way that sinners take, and then the next, another parallelism, or sit in the company of mockers. You see there's three pieces, one, two, three, and these build upon one another. And now we have a parallelism within the other parallelism with verse 2, which then says, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. So we have these three parallelisms, and then we have two that bracket those three. So this verse, verse 2, states the kind of person who is blessed from a positive frame of reference. The blessed person is the one who delights in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. The law of the Lord is the Word of God, the Bible. It contrasts with the way of thinking of the wicked in verse 1. These are opposites of one another. We noted a moment ago that our thoughts determine our behavior and our actions. Our thoughts lead to what we do and to what we become. Our thoughts lead to what we do and what we become. And so we see here that the fundamental way that our thinking is changed, which in turn affects what we do and what we are becoming, is through delighting in and meditating upon the Word of God. What does it mean to delight in the Word of God? Well, think for a moment about those things in life that you really love to do, that which you find great pleasure in, those things that puts a smile on your face, those things that you consider your favorite things in life. That feeling, that joy, that desire, that want, that thirst, that yearning which you have for those things is the way we are to be toward the Word of God too. That's what it means to delight in the Word of God. The Word of God is a happy place for you. What does it mean to meditate on the Word of God day and night? Well, this is a manifestation of a person delighting in the Word of God. A person who delights in the Word of God 
who's taken up with it, who is in love with it, will think about the Word of God all the time, day and night. The word translated meditate, it means to have focused thought on something, to ponder it, to roll it around in your mind, to examine it from every side, to study it, to chew on it with your mind. Joshua 1.8, the Lord said to Joshua, Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Some Jewish people practice this command in a very literal way by carrying passage of Scripture in little boxes that are strapped to their forehead called phylacteries and other types of things. For us, as followers of Jesus Christ, the meaning here is to have the Word of God always with us, thinking about it, reading it, sharing it, teaching it, discussing it with each other, so there is a constant flow of God's Word going through our mind. We want to constantly soak ourselves in the Word of God. Verse 3 of Psalm 1. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. This is a beautiful description of what a God-blessed life is like. This is what the person is like, who delights in the Word of God, meditating on it day and night, and does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. This person is like a tree planted by streams of water. They experience the abundance of God's provision, never lacking, always having what they need. It, it brings to mind what Jesus said about the water that He gives to us who believe in Him. You might remember when Jesus was talking with the Samaritan woman at the well. He said to her in John 4.14, Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then later, when Jesus was back in Jerusalem, He said in John 7, 37, Let anyone who is thirsty come to Me and drink. Whoever believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. 
The water that Jesus gives us, it's a living, eternal water that satisfies our soul at the deepest level, unlike anything that this world has to offer, welling up to eternal life. It nourishes us and fills us with life. It says this person is like a tree which yields its fruit in season. This person has a fruitful, productive life. The fruit of the Spirit of God is present in their life. The fruit of the Holy Spirit described in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 is growing in them. The fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The blessing of God upon a person always produces fruit. It is a certainty. God always produces good things in our life. The activity of God in our life is always a life-producing, fruit-producing, growth-producing thing. Always. There are other relationships in our lives that drain us of energy and life. But our relationship with the Lord is never that way. Our relationship with the Lord always infuses us with energy and life. The person is like a tree whose leaf does not wither. This person doesn't fade and wither in the heat of life. They have a God-given strength that carries them through the difficulties and the challenges and the hardships and the trials. They have a resiliency in the pressures and the strains of life. The person who is in this life-infusing relationship with God, who finds delight in His Word, who meditates on it day and night, finds themselves abundantly supplied to face whatever life throws at them. Finally, this person finds whatever they do prospers. The Lord brings success. This is the same promise the Lord gave to Joshua in Joshua 1.8 that we read a little earlier. This prospering, though, is, is not to become materially rich or powerful or famous as the world defines success. Success in the culture and the kingdom of God runs much deeper than that. It refers to experiencing and going through life like this tree described here in the psalm that's planted by streams of water yielding its fruit whose leaf does not wither. The success the Lord offers us is an abundant, blessed, fulfilling life. The success that the Lord offers is the full life that Jesus describes to us in John 10.10. The success that the Lord offers is the light burden, the easy yoke that Jesus promises us in Matthew 11.28. Life can hit us with some very hard blows. None of us are immune to that. But the added misery that we pile on top through our own sin and stupidity is stuff that can be avoided completely 
if we would follow the Lord's path for us. I mean, imagine how much better our life would be if we simply avoided the potholes in life that we have put there ourselves. Lastly, the prosperous life in the culture and kingdom of God is an eternal life filled with the hope and the joy of heaven. Even when, even when we are at death's dark door, we have the hope and the joy of heaven to sustain us. And so verse 4 of Psalm 1, Not so the wicked, they are like shaft that the wind blows away. This abundant provision and fruitfulness and resiliency under pressure and eternal life that are the experience and the possession of the person who delights in the Lord are not experienced by the wicked. The wicked are like chaff that the wind blows away. This is a vivid contrast that the psalmist creates for us between this well-watered, deeply rooted, thriving, fruitful tree and the withered, dry, lifeless shaft that's being blown away by the wind. Verse 5, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. The wicked will not be able to endure the judgment of God. They'll have no protection from the justice of a holy God. The assembly of the righteous is a figurative way of referring to heaven dwelling in the presence of God among the people of God. Those who have entrusted their life in Christ, they depend on His righteousness. And we know that we can stand before the Lord in His holy judgment because we are in Jesus. Verse 6, it says, For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. The way of the righteous versus the way of the wicked is summarized in this final verse of the chapter where he says the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. He's looking out for them. He protects them. He provides for them. His blessing rests on them. The righteous, it doesn't refer to the perfect person, since no one but Jesus qualifies for that. But the, the righteous is the one who is in relationship with God, who loves God, who's seeking to do the will of God, who is trusting in God, whose heart yearns for the way of the Lord, who's delighting in the Lord. But the way of the wicked will perish. Their way fails ultimately. There's no future in following the way of the wicked. And so we have these two paths before us, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked, the way that leads to life and the way that leads to death. Let's choose the way of life. Let's be like this tree planted by streams of water which yield its fruit in season whose leaf does not wither. Let's delight ourselves in the Lord. This is the promise that we are given. This is what is produced in our life when we delight ourselves in Him. Let's bow our heads in prayer. 
Father, we thank you for your good words spoken to us in this psalm. I pray, Lord, that we would all, every single one of us, would choose the way of life. And Lord, that we would be this fruitful, deep-rooted tree with this resilience, even in the midst of storm and difficulty. Because you are strengthening us, Lord. Pray that you would make that so for each of us. In Jesus' name, amen.